on today's episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. The thing that um, I appreciated was, like you mentioned, that keyword intentionality. And so learning to recognize, okay, let me not only be intentional with my dollars, um, but also let me be intentional with myself. Do I even want to put myself through this cycle of like Rigor Monroe of having to face the fact that I bought multiple things and that I have to spend gas to go take it back or I have to pack it up and send it back to Amazon. Like even when we're talking about the cost benefits analysis, like there's so much that goes into overspending. It's not just like, Oh, I buy it and it comes here. But that cycle of regret that, that guilt and that shame. And then like, Oh, let me hurry up. Especially if you have a partner and your partner knows that you have an issue with overspending. Let me try to hide this so that my partner doesn't know that I did this thing. This episode is sure to deliver stimulating conversations and aha moments that may give you a fresh perspective. If any moment made your soul vibrate, please leave us a review and let us know if we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe and visit BlackGirlsGettingTheirShiftTogether.com to access exclusive offers and coaching packages. The coaching packages include clarity calls, VIP one-on-one exclusive coaching, and my absolute favorite, the Tribe Vibes. The Tribe Vibe is a twist on Ladies' Night, focusing on self-care for Black women with a holistic approach. Welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'm your host, Ursula a transformation life coach, and mental health and wellness advocate. This is a safe space for amazing Black women to share open, honest dialogue about mental health and wellness, self-care, self-love, and basically how to get our shift together. Let's tune in to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. Today, again, is going to be another, for me, and I'm sure other people as well, a triggering conversation, and it's all about emotional spending or impulse buying. So if you're listening to this on the replay or on the audio podcast, send me a message and let me know what you all think about this episode and if anything just rattled you like it has been rattling me. But before we do that, I'm going to play this intro. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog. We are welcome, the ladies. 
and we are back. So yes, like I said earlier, tonight's episode is about emotional spending. So I have a wonderful guest that I've been stalking on Facebook for quite some time now. I am going to take her out of the waiting room. <laughs> Hi, hey, Ursula. How's everything? I'm well. How are you, Sierra? Well, thank you for asking. Once again, thank you for having me on your platform. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. And again, thank you for saying yes. I was very excited. Um, I, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I actually messaged you, I DM'd you, and I left you in queue for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so every time it was just as a reminder. So that goes to show you how long I've been wanting to do an episode. <laughs> so I'm very happy. And I see we, we're both lock sisters. Yes. <laughs> That's another thing that drew me to you. I was like, okay, she gets it. Yes. <laughs> so can you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yes, absolutely. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Sierra Hillsman. I'm a licensed professional counselor and a certified clinical trauma professional. I reside in Atlanta, um, but I'm licensed in the state of Georgia. And my primary focuses are trauma, life transitions, and addictions. And basically, I just enjoy helping people through their mental health concerns and whatnot, educating individuals to grow a better sense of self, build a healthy relationship with themselves as they fulfill their purpose. But that's essentially it. <laughs> Look, that's just it. That's a lot. <laughs> oh, and you know, um, everyone, make sure and check out Sierra's Instagram. I will drop it in the chat. But you've been quite a, a guest quite a few times on the local television station. Yeah. <laughs> that's yes. impressive. Thanks. But I, I think it's great because for people especially in our community, to see someone that looks like us, some melanated people talking about mental health, and it makes the topic not as taboo as it once was. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I definitely agree. Actually, that's the reason why I got into the mental health space. Originally, I just wanted to be a mental health advocate. I wanted to take the information that I learned in my master's program and disseminate it within communities of color, specifically the Black community. Ooh. And understandably, I, I grew up in neighborhoods or even with a family that lived from paycheck to paycheck. And mm -hmm. let alone uh, trying to get people to go to see their medical doctor, but trying to convince people to go see a therapist, that was a hurdle within itself. And so mm -hmm. I love amazing clinicians uh, who take the time to be able to share their wealth of knowledge and provide additional information regarding mental health or destigmatizing mental health, because obviously we've grown up with so many different stereotypes, like black people don't go to therapy, or why would you pay somebody when you could talk to your family or your bougie, or, you know, uh, it's all in your head. This is all just a label that they're trying to slap on you and not recognizing that depression, anxiety, psychosis, all of those things impact our community. So once again, thank you so much for creating space on your platform to be able to talk about these things because it helps to normalize a person's yeah. mental health concerns. Absolutely. And, you know, I wish we could, you know, by having conversations like this can normalize talking about therapy, because I know when I was growing up, that was that was a, a negative connotation. What's wrong with you? You need to go see a therapist mm -hmm. as if something as if you're broken. Mm -hmm. I don't like yeah. that, but I've been guilty of that. 
So I, I get it, but I'm definitely changing. I'm not stuck in my ways, but I wish we would normalize that as a community. Yes, I definitely agree. Uh, I find us to be a very strong people and we're very resilient. We've lived through generations of so much pain and trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, However, we are not that pain and trauma. There's so much joy. Like our our joy is very revolutionary. And so when we learn how to take care of the I, um, we help the collective, we help the we. And so learning to take ownership of the work that we need to do as individual people, like imagine if everybody invested in their wellness journey, how how much more our communities would be, how much more our school systems would be, how much more we'll raise like healthy children, things of that nature, how much like mindset shifts will happen. We won't have to worry about uh, worrying about whether or not we're accepted by other races or cultures, you know, (laughs) when we focus on our wellness. So speaking of my language, (laughs) oh, I'm so glad you're on here today. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I love what you talked about the the growth mindset and reaching the younger children. Because do you think that there's a, a different shift with the younger generation as opposed to people older than us? I think so. I think it's very interesting now, especially with uh, Gen Z. I see that they're a lot more focused on their mental health. Uh, I know millennials, we started that trek. Uh, However, we're still in that in-between gap between like our parents and Gen Z. And so where Gen Z is very like diagnosis focused or like these are the symptoms that I'm experiencing, like I really am going to take my mental health days. Millennials, we're still trying to figure out how to bridge that gap, how to like Mm. take what we're learning in terms of like our mental health, but like also still uh, find ourselves dealing with like the pressures to perform, the pressures to be like the best, the pressure to be able to continue to um, be our ancestors' wildest dreams, our parents' dreams, because our parents had uh, invested so much in us. And then you already know, like certain generations before us, they're just kind of like, what's that? We never talked about that. What goes on in the house stays in the house. Yes. (laughs) Like what feelings, what are you talking about? We don't got time to have feelings. We got to go get this, this check. We got to start putting some food on the table, you know? So I find that as generations transitioned, we're leaving this survival mentality to like, how can we live a life that's sustainable? How can we create a life that's more thriving focused rather than surviving focused? Right. The abundant life. Yeah. Ooh, because that's survival. That's no joke. It's no joke. But let's get right into it because I could talk to you forever (laughs) before we even get, but I won't because I want to respect your time. We're going to talk about emotional spending or impulse buying. (sighs) Deep breath for me. (laughs) What do you consider emotional spending or impulse buying? Yeah. So even when I think about the concept of emotional spending, I'm like, what is the root cause? So immediately people think of retail therapy when we're talking about the concept of emotional spending. So 
excuse me, identifying what is your first, your trigger, what is causing you to want to spend excessive money or what's causing you to buy without thinking. That's what I think about in terms of emotional spending. On the flip side, we have to look at it from, remember, like I mentioned, like the diagnostic perspective, because emotional spending is not just like a stress reliever, but it can also be a symptom for disorders like bipolar disorder. So in terms of like- Yes. So when we're thinking about like the mania aspect of bipolar disorder, it's not just, okay, I'm going to randomly have sex with a person that I don't really necessarily know or engage in risk taking behavior. But it also looks like overspending, spending money that you don't have, getting yourself in this cycle of debt. So we have to figure out what is the root cause of this emotional spending? What does it serve? And where can, what can we do to mitigate that? What can we do to like stop that as a usage of coping? Huh. So as a psychotherapist, how do you decipher if it's bipolar or we're just wanting to get a dopamine hit of retail therapy? Yeah. So for one, whenever I get a new client, I'm just speaking for myself. What the is the typical response when you get a new client, you do a biopsychosocial assessment, identifying what are the diagnoses that the client previously had or what are their presenting concerns or symptoms. So with bipolar disorder, we understand that's also known as manic depression. So you have this length of time of depression, mm-hmm. but then you also have these short uh, spurts of mania. It could last for a week or two or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> when we're talking about um, spending to cope, we also have to look at it from like, okay, do you struggle with major depressive disorder or, or any other differential diagnosis? So differential diagnosing looks like what can be an additional diagnosis that kind of shows the same symptoms as another diagnosis. And excuse me if I'm using a lot of mental health uh, jargon, y'all. I'm trying to just break it down for y'all as much as possible. Right. So um, multiple symptoms can exist or multiple disorders can exist. That's what we consider to be comorbidity. It's kind of like from a physical perspective, a person can not only have hypertension, but they can also have diabetes as well. They can oh. also have cancer. So multiple diseases can exist. And it's the same way in our mental health right? Anxiety can also exist along with depression or mania can exist along with suicidality. It's the same way. So that's when we're talking about multiple things can exist from a comorbidity perspective. Now, differential diagnosing looks like, okay, well, there are a number of diagnoses within the DSM, which is our diagnostic statistical Mm -hmm. manual. That's what we use now is DSM-5 TR, which includes the trauma related stuff. But um, differential diagnosis is just like there are a number of diagnoses that pretty much look the same, but what separates them is the length of time or the lifespan. When did they occur within your Ah, lifespan? So a lot of times people automatically assume, well, I have depression. Well, no, not necessarily. You might have a depressive disorder or you might have adjustment disorder or maybe you might have ADHD. Like there are just certain diagnoses that look the same, but we have to look at their origin, length of time, and maybe even when did they show up within the lifespan. So going back to what you were asking in terms of like, how do you know the difference between bipolar disorder or maybe even emotional spending from like a a coping mechanism, we have to figure out one's personal psychosocial history, but we also have to check to see um, what triggered it, what, what started it, what came first, the chicken or the egg. 
Interesting. So, so, okay. What do you find mostly that comes from it? Usually, is it something that's bipolar or someone being depressed? Usually what I find is is usually somebody trying to uh, deal, and this is based upon my clientele. There are some clinicians that deal with more severe um, diagnoses like bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, other like acute psychosis, or maybe even schizophrenia. So based upon my clientele, often see overspending as a tool for coping. So like, I don't feel well, my ex-partner or my current partner is making me feel negatively about myself. I have low self-esteem or low self-worth. Let me go to Bed Bath & Beyond and go purchase something really quickly to make myself feel good or to make my environment feel good. Or what we often see within like these last two years with the pandemic, I've been stuck in the house for these last two years and I need a shift, I need a change. Well, what's easily accessible? Online shopping, Amazon. You can literally get Amazon either same day or within 24 hours. Right. It's that instant gratification, that dopamine fix that you were talking about. Also social media, right? We understand that Instagram and Facebook used to be tools for connection, but now social media is used as a marketing tool. Every time you turn around, somebody's trying to sell you something, right? right. So when you have the geotagging, when you have the ads based upon your data, the meta collects and stuff like that, they're targeting you to be able to purchase their stuff. And so uh, we have to be mindful and be realistic about one, what's in our bank account? Two, can I actually afford this? And three, what does this purchase serve? Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) As you're talking and you're talking about, okay, well, what's in your bank account? But in addition to the dopamine hits, it is literally like a drug because if someone wants to use some heavy, heavy, hardcore drug, no one's thinking about their bank account. They're just wanting that hit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Are there any other trigger examples? Yeah, so other triggers could potentially be arguments, right? And and this is just from like a general population perspective, right? Um, I just got through arguing with my supervisor via email. I don't feel appreciated. So let me uh, show myself some self-appreciation. Or um, maybe I don't feel loved by my children. Like my children don't recognize how much I give to them. Let me take care of myself in this very moment. So understanding, and um, it's so funny, even as I bring that up, trying to decipher, determine what does self-care look like versus (laughs) overspending. Um, Because, you know, we call things self-care in the name of like the trend. And I know, you know, a lot of things are very trendy nowadays in mental health. Self-care, I'm triggered or narcissism and things of that nature. So I think a huge part of it is practicing that relentless honesty. That's number one. Can you be honest with yourself? What do you Um, mean by the relentless honesty? I like that term. Yeah, relentless honesty is being honest with yourself no matter what. Um, Not manipulating yourself. I think oftentimes we talk about, oh, how somebody made us feel or how um, somebody manipulated us to do those things, but, or somebody's overstepping our boundaries, but think about how many times a day we overstep our own personal boundaries. Wow. Triggered. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so seen. (laughs) And I'm like, even with that concept of triggered, I'm like, are you like 
triggered or are you offended? Which one? Or triggered like, AF. <laughs> and I'm like taking a moment to be like, okay, what about that is reprompting a uh, response for you, right? Because I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time you probably felt that way. So no. what is reprompting that particular response? What's causing uh, that response to be elicited in this moment. So we just well, got to practice relentless honesty. If you're going to hold be... somebody else accountable, learn to hold yourself <laughs> accountable. Okay, I'm going to be transparent because this, uh, this just happened 24 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on this, I'm on this weight loss journey, right? Okay. So I put on a shirt and it, it felt loose in the arms. I was like, oh, this feels good. I'm going to buy some ice cream. So I'm going to reward myself <laughs> for some ice cream, which was so counterproductive. Yeah. And as I was driving to the place, and I kept talking myself out of it, but it, it's that that push and pull, that pull and tuck. And I knew it was the wrong. And so anyways, fast forward, I finished it. And then I put the cup down. I was like, damn, why did I buy that? Yeah. Why did I buy that? Why did I reward myself with food when I'm trying to lose weight? And it felt like a dopamine hit when I was getting my keys and my shoes and getting ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you for your honesty and transparency in this yeah. moment because I'm pretty sure there's somebody who's listening and it's just like, dang, sis, I feel the same way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even then in that moment, um, taking the time to ask yourself, uh, why would I undercut the progress that I've made? Right. Or why do I feel like I'm undeserving to maintain the progress? Ooh, ooh, yes. Damn, that hurt. But it, <laughs> it, that's what, that's where I can grow from because asking those why questions and I, and let me get really real and transparent. I was, feeling very stressed from work mm -hmm. and I needed a break, but that wasn't the healthy way. I mean, aside from the physical, but that I just kept powering through and I was, I was just done. So yeah, yeah but it, when I thought about it, it really came down to work and my loose clothes, but it came down to work as well. That was the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so even then in that moment, because I know you were talking about why questions, something that I always encourage my clients to do is like self-inquiry, right? If there's a particular behavior that you're trying to alter or change, get to the root of it. What about this particular behavior is still happening or occurring? And right. so we ask ourselves, you know, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Sometimes we have to be careful with the why questions because sometimes we'll get caught up in not being able to answer the why. There are some questions we might not know the answer to. Is that okay, though? And that's okay. It it's is okay. okay. That's why you just switch it up and like, okay, well, what or how or when or where, like, in that moment, asking yourself, when did I start this behavior? Where did I pick this up? Who taught me to utilize food as a, as a reward for whatever it is that I accomplished in life? Right. Um, I'm going to read this little blurb from Very Well Mind about emotional spending. Mm -hmm. And it said everything that you were talking about, uh, some key takeaways that emotional spending is money 
during a period, wait, excuse me, emotion spending is spending money during a period of heightened emotions like stress Mm -hmm. or sadness. It often results in buying items you don't really need or even want. Mental health experts say that this is a coping mechanism to avoid addressing those difficult emotions, but there are many ways to deal with it. Yeah. Woo. And then it went on to talk about the pandemic. And I will say this, and this is including my home as well, going to certain friends, some uh, friends' homes, and I would see a bunch of Amazon boxes, (laughs) including my own house. So Amazon was probably a really big winner during the past two years. Yes. Amazon, Postmates, DoorDash. Uh, Uber, it got so bad that Uber started dropping off drinks. Isn't that crazy? Alcoholic drinks. You are lying. Seriously. Are you serious? That's an option. I didn't know. That is a whole option. Let me. It's uh, like instant gratification. I did not know. I am. I must be behind. Obviously. <laughs> uh. So when does it become an issue? So even when we're talking about like the counseling perspective, our goal is to highlight how these behaviors are impacting your overall functionality. functionality. So Mm. we don't go based upon a dollar sign, but the impact that it has on your overall functionality. One, how many times a day can you go without spending? Even like a day or maybe even a week. Or do you find yourself in the negative after you spend so much money? Do you find yourself spending the money that you need for something important like rent or maybe your kids snacks or things of that nature on something else? So that's something for the client to address or identify. When does it become a problem for you? And not only sub- don't look at it from a subjective perspective, but also objectively as well. Look at the numbers in your bank account. Look at the Mm -hmm. bank statements. Also, uh, I know oftentimes we create these goals initially towards the beginning of the year or maybe even these quarterly goals. However, does your spending impact your ability to draw closer to those goals? Say that last part again. Okay. Does your spending impact your ability to draw closer to the goals that you have? Uh, so for example, if you say that I'm trying to save $5,000 because I'm trying to transition off of my job, well, with you overspending, how is that impacting your ability to be able to save for that $5,000? Right. Wow. That's something to think about. So when does it become a di- when it's compulsive or is that the same thing? Compulsive and impulsive is the same thing. It's like the immediate response. You're doing it without thinking. Uh, Okay. So that makes sense where I've read that if you wait 24 hours to see if you still want it or need it. That's a rule. That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. But sometimes we have a way of tricking ourselves. I just got to wait 24 hours. Oh, I still want it. Boom. (laughs) There we go. Because that was a, I was going to have that ice cream before it closed at 24 hours. You're right. And we trick ourselves into mm, justifying why we need it. Justifications and rationalizations. Oh my God. This is, 
this is some good stuff. <laughs> this really is. So do you think uh, how a person grew up financially, if that had anything to do with, has anything to do with it? That is such a great question, Ursula. And I was waiting for you to ask me that question because I am so big on financial wellness. So I, I get into wellness counseling with clients and financial wellness is one of the eight domains of wellness. Um, when we're talking about like the concepts of wellness, we're looking at ourselves not only from like an intellectual perspective, but also physical, social, occupational, financial, environmental, as well as just like all the spiritual component. Yes. Uh, there's so many different things that make a human being up that we completely forget. We only only often see ourselves from a physical and maybe even a emotional or maybe even a um, spiritual perspective, those three domains. But there's so many things that contribute to our overall wellness. And when I get into the concept of financial wellness, I always challenge clients to look at what is your relationship with money? From a, an emotional, spiritual, or maybe even physical component. And when we're talking about money, we're also looking at resources as well, because we understand that currency is just only one part of financial wellness. What about like your barter system? Like how do you leverage your skills to um, generate income, things of that nature? Mm. What is your relationship with money? And who taught you the belief system in relation to money? What experiences did you have growing up? Or what experiences did you have across your lifespan? Because understandably, we come from like different families and we view money differently. And sometimes as we grow up and we have different experiences, our belief system changes. So even, I know for me, I can speak for myself. Like I mentioned, I grew up in a home that lived from paycheck to paycheck. Right. And I, we really focused on exchanging time for money as I grew up. And become older, I realized that there's things like passive income, there's investing, there's other ways to generate resources. Mm. And so what, what is your relationship with your finances? Because are you a spender? Are you a saver? Are you an investor? Do you see money as something that needs to be stored away just in case there's an emergency? Or do you see uh, your money as YOLO? You know, you only live once. Let's go vacation. <laughs> Let's live in the, in the moment. Right. Or, do you see um, purchasing items as like, let's only buy things on sale, let's utilize coupons? Or do you see it as, well, I'm here and I'm trying to, I'm not trying to go back to the store and um, it's in, right in front of me. So I'm just going to get it right now. How do you mm. see money? How do you view spending? What are your spending practices and how does that impact you emotionally? Because what we find with emotional spending, you have this urge, you're ready to buy something, you buy it, then you have this buyer's remorse, you have this regret, right. then you start going back and forth with that um, whole bartering system, like, well, let me rationalize why I did it, but uh, yeah. I see my bank account, uh, I don't know, you know, you start having that wrestling, and then after that, you can either make your initial symptoms worse, where you were buying based upon stress, but now you added additional stress on yourself, or <laughs> you could be buying for stress, but then like ultimately saying, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm just going to continue living life obliviously, pretend like this never happened and, and never reprimand myself, never hold myself accountable. I'm just going to continue the cycle. So Whoa. That's some deep. <laughs> wow. 
I never thought about the compounding of the stress upon. St- I never heard of that. Huh? Yeah. So a learning to play the tape all the way through. Um, that's something that we talk a lot about in like the concept of recovery. So if, if anybody is listening from an addiction perspective, whether you have addiction to food or maybe even addiction to drugs or alcohol or anything like that, before you engage in a particular behavior, play the tape all the way through. What is this thing going to look like in the long run for you? Oh, that's some good stuff right there. That's good, Sierra. Wow. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. I'm like, that was my light bulb moment that went off right there. Wow. Yeah. Play the tape through. And you said that in that post, but I didn't I didn't understand what you meant by that. And I, I remember making a note to ask you, but now I know. Yeah. Play the tape through. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, that's at least I'm thinking in my brain, I will start talking myself into why the justification of it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it works in this moment, but even like this concept of like doing a cost benefit benefits analysis, um, not only is this going to, how is this going to impact you from a cost perspective, like financially, but is this going to cost you your peace of mind? Is it going to cost you your stability? Is it going to cost you um, your sanity? Like what, is this going to cost you when you exchange your money for this particular item or these multiple items? Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to share something. I've never said this before, but I'll be transparent. And anyone listening, send me a message and let me know if this resonates with you also. So when I started therapy and um, I remember now in retrospect that I would buy a lot and put like this when I went through my home because my therapist said well you know if you feel like you have over purchased go through your home and when I went through my house there were a lot of duplicates And I just remember putting everything in the corner on what what I had as duplicates and some things I could return, which that did feel good that I was able to return the items. And that also was a dopamine hit as well, because one, my money was going back in my account. But two, it just it felt good. I just felt like I was doing something good for my well-being. But see literally figure like literally seeing the duplicates that did something to me mm. just to see it you know you can talk about it but to see it that's what that was a turning point can you expound on that like what about it like did something for you like what was the turning point in that moment well it was a reality that i had been overspending or not thinking about my spend mm. And you said it earlier, you know, well, it's right there in front of me. I'm just going to get it now. So, you know what? And I was shocked. I wasn't intentional. That's, ooh, that's it. I wasn't intentional. No, it's right here. Let me get it. Because I don't want to go back out. Well, I have two of the same items at home. It could be something as simple as a ketchup bottle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the turning point was... And it also symbolized where my mindset was, how I was feeling. Yeah. As far as the depression. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for acknowledging that. Cause like uh, two things that I pull from that is um, not being fully present in your experience. Uh, oh. So like when you're just buying impulsively, you're not giving yourself enough time to be like, well, do I have this at home already? Did I purchase this? You know, do I even actually use the one that I actually have already? And you didn't. <laughs> and didn't. Yeah. And, yeah. So, um, you know, just thinking about, oh, playing the tape all the way through. Mm-hmm. I would just press the stop button once the, <laughs> once the hook started. Okay, I'm good. Click. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something the, else. What were you about to say? And the other thing that um, I appreciated was, like you mentioned, that keyword intentionality. And so learning to recognize, okay, let me not only be intentional with my dollars, um, but also let me be intentional with myself. Do I even want to put myself through this cycle of like rigor Monroe of having to face the fact that I bought multiple things and that I have to spend gas to go take it back or I have to pack it up and send it back to Amazon like. Even when we're talking about the cost benefits analysis, like there's so much that goes into overspending. It's not just like, oh, I buy it and it comes here. But that cycle of regret, that that guilt and that shame. And then like, oh, let me hurry up, especially if you have a partner and your partner knows that you have an issue with overspending. Let me try to hide this so that my partner doesn't know that I did this thing. You know, so there's just so many different components to the overspending aspect of it. Two questions. Can you talk about that cost benefit analysis again? Yeah. So when we're talking about cost benefits analysis, like what are the benefits of engaging in this behavior? What is this costing me when I engage in this behavior? So um, when we're talking about like the genuine benefits, like how does this benefit my livelihood? How does this benefit my wellness cycle? And are these genuine benefits, not rationalizations, not justifications or anything like that? How does this serve a particular purpose in my life? Now, when we're talking about the actual cost, we're talking about like the dollar, how much does this uh, impact or hit my bank account or how much does this impact my ability to reach my therapeutic goals or my financial goals? Mm. But like, how is this impacting me from like an emotional perspective? Will I have to trade my peace of mind to purchase this thing? Will I have to trade my stability and sanity for purchasing this thing? Will I have to trade like my, uh, my sense of comfort for purchasing this particular thing. So just taking the time Ooh. to think about that. That, that. I like that. I have to make a note of that. <laughs> okay. That's pretty good. And the second thing I wanted to ask, what's your opinion about, because I heard you mention about couples and say one partner purchases something, but they're hiding it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Hiding items. Yeah. So uh, one, why do you feel like you have to hide items? Two, how long has this behavior been taking place within a relationship? Three, uh, does your partner know that you have an impulsive spending habit or spending addiction? Or Mm -hmm. if this is your particular form of coping and have you guys talked about it? Uh, So Mm -hmm. there's just so many different things to consider when you have a partner who impulsively overspends. And then like, how can you guys work together to combat this thing. Uh, And because remember I was talking about earlier in terms of like taking care of the eye so that the we can be better. So when you become, uh, when you become married or you have a partnership, you don't necessarily go at things alone. How can we collaboratively work together so that we can overcome this thing together? 
That's true partnership, teamwork. So I'm going to pull up this graph. You talked about it, about this cycle. And uh, let me fix a couple of things first. Can you see it so far? Yes, I can see it. Okay. So because this is an audio podcast, can you read and talk about what you see? Yeah. So um, in this particular cycle that you have shown, it's called the emotional spending cycle, where in phase one, an individual feels a strong or negative or positive emotion. And then in cycle two and phase two, we have the individual buying something to assage or amplify that feeling in phase three, they realize that they've overspent. And in phase four, they feel anxious or depressed about overspending. Mm. What are your thoughts on this cycle? It's literally like what we were talking about earlier. You have that prompting event, whether it be an emotion or maybe a set of circumstances, whether it be positive or negative. Positive is like, oh, okay, I'm going to reward myself. Negative or, oh, I feel super stressed because of my spouse or maybe even my children or maybe even my work environment. Or maybe I stress myself out. Maybe I'm disappointed in myself, you know? So let me just go. (laughs) Let me go do something about it. And then just cycling all through that. And so taking the time to ask yourself, okay, well, is this going to make phase one more work feel worse than before? Yes. Ah, oh, that I would think it would make you feel worse because it goes back to that compounding that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Woo! Something else. So, what if someone wanted to stop? What can they do today, even if, say, that they don't have a therapist or a coach and something that they can do for their own agency? Just what can I do on my own to manage this? Yeah, there are a number of things. Thank you so much for creating space for uh, just strategies, because we could talk about it all day. But how do we get to the root of the problem? So Mm -hmm. one, I would definitely encourage individuals to take some time to do like a needs assessment. I feel like a needs assessment is very important. Like, what do you need in this moment or what have you been needing within like those moments of distress or feeling overwhelmed and stuff like that? When we're talking about prompting or triggering events, we are feeling as though life is too much or maybe this set of circumstances is too much. So what can I do to combat the impact of those particular triggers? So if you see that this is a repeat pattern. I'm stressed. I go get ice cream or I'm frustrated. I'm going to go buy a new blouse or uh, I feel overwhelmed or maybe actually I did a phenomenal job on my test. Let me go get a new tattoo. Let me go buy something like really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know. So taking some time to find uh, opposite action or maybe even find some activities that we can replace that spending behavior with. So what do you need? Do you need to feel comforted? Okay, well, what in your house do you already have? You don't necessarily have to go buy a weighted blanket. Maybe you just need to go pull all of the comforters from your your closet and just utilize all those comforters all at the same time. Or if you have a pet, allowing the weight of that pet, or if you have a partner spending time with that partner. That's good. I love that about the pet. (laughs) Ah. So, so 
fun. <laughs> yeah. It's so simple, but it's so impactful and it doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Yeah. So huh. identifying what you need in that moment and what you currently have to help fill in the gap, because essentially you're just trying to fill a void in that moment. So what do you already have that we can use to fill the void? Uh, the next thing to consider as well is uh, taking some time, like we talked about, practicing that relentless honesty, getting really down to the nitty gritty. Why do I do this? Um, and what can I do to create like a plan of wellness for myself? Um, so when we're talking about the concept of wellness, taking some time to identify, okay, not only your, your triggers and your warning signs, how these actually show up, but activities that you thoroughly enjoy. So if you need to uh, learn how to urge surf, urge surfing is like, okay, I have this urge to buy something. How do I learn how to sit in that urge and allow it to just kind of ride the wave until until it passes? Okay. That was the mic drop of this (laughs) entire. Oh, wow. That's a good one. And that's what it it literally feels like an emotional wave for Mm -hmm. real. I mean, I'm speaking from personal (laughs) it really feels like that and i think that's where the destruction comes in when we're just you know what we don't want to feel that wave anymore i don't want to sit in it and there we go spending yeah so uh normalizing discomfort being okay like all right this is a familiar place this usually happens when i'm dealing with x y and z emotion I'm just going to ride the wave. I'm just going to ride the wave until I'm able to get home or until I'm able to go to the gym so I can expel this energy or until I'm able Mm. to get home and cuddle with my pet or until I'm able to do whatever it is that I need to do, you know? Some good stuff right there. Mm. Yeah. And then another thing to consider too, so, because I know you mentioned that the turning point for you was actually practically seeing it. Sometimes we just have to journal it out. So keeping a spending journal helps you to see what exactly you're spending your money on. I know there's a number of like financial literacy or maybe even like uh, financial accountability apps like mint.com or even like if you have USAA or Chase or something like that, banks are able to tell you what your your spending is going to, how much money you're spending on food or gas or groceries or or um, maybe even clothing items or whatever the case may be. So getting into the practice of checking your um, spending so that you can practically see what's going on. Oftentimes I know that people don't like the B word, they don't like budgeting. Um, but let's replace budget with boundaries. Remember, we're talking about learning Ooh. to respect our boundaries. So implementing those financial boundaries for yourself, too. Mm, that's some good stuff. That's really good. And that makes sense because if you with those apps and you can create the graph on what you're spending, um, I'm visual. So that helps. That helps to see it. Instead of thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So off the subject, but kind of on it, I just thought of this. What are your thoughts on people who don't like to spend at all? Almost, I don't know what the word is. They're not hoarders, but I don't know. What is that term? Well, let me, they're so excessive. Say if they have a roll of toilet paper, they will separate the plies of the, and I've saw a, 
a documentary on that or yeah. they would use the toilet paper and rinse it. it it was bizarre yeah yeah and then he would dry it he would put it on a line and dry the paper towels yeah excuse me for anybody who's watching this on video i know i, I don't have my uh my uh counselor hat on so i can make whatever faces i want to make but um <laughs> well, that goes back to like learning how to copy and paste like we mentioned like what is your relationship with money why did you become so stringent with your resources so to speak why do you feel like you have to live to that extent uh because some people come from like wealthy backgrounds and maybe they've hit rock bottom and they never want to experience rock bottom again or maybe mm. their parents taught them how to learn how to stretch for quite some time you know right so that's something for people to consider like think about what belief systems you grew up with are acquired through your caregivers mm, what is that term called when someone doesn't spend money or is there a term i don't I'm know i'm not sure i don't think there's a term yeah for it. okay i was just curious on that well uh Google, i guess that's yeah <laughs> oh i will be googling for sure so oh why did you name your company Legacy Speaks? Yeah, so uh, I'm really big on the concept of legacy. So like, what can you leave on this earth? And I remember reading this quote uh, by Oprah about the advice that Dr. Maya Angelou gave her. And it was just like, legacy is not, you know, what you do, but like how you made people feel. And so granted, you know, um, granted, we have the greats like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, even Dr. Maya Angelou and all this stuff like that. Right. But generations on gen upon generations, they are disconnected because they've never got a chance to witness these people within their lifetime. They're only they only know how they were able to impact like the culture. And so I think that's very important to recognize that, like what. In anything that you do, in the life that you live, what will your legacy say about you? Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. And one last thing. You look exactly like my cousin. <laughs> oh, good. That's exactly. cool. Exactly. So when I saw you on Celeste podcast, yeah. and literally within 30 seconds, I said, she looks like Lorena. So... <laughs> Lorena is a good person. Shout out to Lorena. You know, <laughs> she is a very good person. She's my first cousin, but cool. you, you two, you look more like her sister than her other two sisters look like her. Does that oh, make wow. sense? Yeah. Like you literally look like her younger sister. That's so bizarre, yeah. but she's very pretty. So that's oh, a good thing. Thank you. <laughs> she is very pretty. Y'all the oh. same smile, same eyes, everything. Cool. Everything. So are there any uh, parting words you'd like to leave our listeners? Uh, I just definitely encourage individuals to take the time to invest in their mental wellness or just even their emotional wellness. Like we talked about earlier, like healing is very revolutionary. And mm. I really do take that very seriously. We can literally change the trajectory of your family line by investing in your wellness. When we learn how to change the lenses that we actually grew up in, or when we learn how to like self-advocate or maybe even learn how to advocate for other people, it just changes the world. So just continue to, to invest in yourself, 
And I won't say everything will be all right, but it'll like point you in the right direction to being all right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Can you tell everyone where they can reach you, where they can see you? Yes, definitely. So you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, uh, any social media platform legacy, at Legacy SPKS. On YouTube is Legacy Speaks. And so you can also check out like my journals. I know we were talking about journaling er earlier. You can check out my journals on Amazon if you want to purchase like a crew neck or anything like that, legacyspeaksshop.com. And uh, that's essentially it really. Yeah. That's perfect. I'll make sure. And for some reason it's not letting me do it, maybe because it isn't live, but I am going to add everything you just said in the show description notes so people yeah. can go directly to you. Cool, cool. No worries. And once again, Ursula, thank you so much for creating space for this amazing conversation. Uh, financial wellness is so important when it comes to emotional and mental wellness. So thank you for acknowledging that experience. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, this is some good stuff. I, just think about it. I'd love for you to come back on again. I okay. really love your energy and you're so you're very knowledgeable. So thank you. I'm excited for that. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. Make sure and uh, check me out on all social platforms as Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. And more especially with this topic, please click the link and join our private Facebook group so that we can continue the conversation in a private group and just talk about what we thought about how to manage our impulse spending, you know, and I, we can learn from each other and we can talk about what Sierra has spent, uh, has shared with us. So it's black girls getting their shift together. Oh, one last thing, Sierra, guess what? Right. You are a black girl that has her shift. Together. Oh, amen. <laughs> I receive that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Good night, everyone. Take care. <laughs> this for the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Twist your locks and realign your chakras Doing your squats and getting close to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis Celestial body, drink your water Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order Levitate, tribe of Ashanti Black girl magic, melanin popping Whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage You a gift and a treasure You got to love a black girl getting a shift together Black girls are getting a shift together These black girls 